Chapter Nineteen of El Dorado by Baroness Olzy. Read for LibriVox.org by Karen Savage in August two thousand and seven. Chapter Nineteen. It is about the Dauphin. Heron was not at his lodgings when, at last, after vigorous pulls at the bell, a great deal of waiting, and much cursing, Chauvelin, closely followed by Armand, was introduced in the chief agent's office. The soldier who acted as servant said that Citizen Heron had gone out to sup, but would surely be home again by eight o'clock. Armand by this time was so dazed with fatigue that he sank on a chair like a log, and remained there, staring into the fire, unconscious of the flight of time. Anon Heron came home. He nodded to Chauvelin, and threw but a cursory glance on Armand. Five minutes, citizen,' he said, with a rough attempt at an apology. "'I am sorry to keep you waiting, but the new commissaries have arrived, who are to take charge of Capet. The Simons have just gone, and I want to assure myself that everything is all right in the tower. Cochefer has been in charge, but I like to cast an eye over the brat every day myself.' He went out again, slamming the door behind him. His heavy footsteps were heard treading the flagstones of the corridor, and gradually dying away in the distance. Armand had paid no heed either to his entrance or to his exit. He was only conscious of an intense weariness, and would at this moment gladly have laid his head on the scaffold, if on it he could find rest. A white-faced clock on the wall ticked off the seconds one by one. From the street below came the muffled sounds of wheeled traffic on the soft mud of the road. It was raining more heavily now, and from time to time a gust of wind rattled the small windows in the dilapidated frames, or hurled a shower of heavy drops against the panes. The heat from the stove had made Armand drowsy. His head fell forward on his chest. Chauvelin, with his hands held behind his back, paced ceaselessly up and down the narrow room. Suddenly Armand started, wide awake now. Hurried footsteps on the flagstones outside, a hoarse shout, a banging of heavy doors, and the next moment Heron stood once more on the threshold of the room. Armand, with wide-opened eyes, gazed on him in wonder. The whole appearance of the man had changed. He looked ten years older, with lank, dishevelled hair hanging matted over a moist forehead, the cheeks ashen-white, the full lips bloodless and hanging, flabby and parted, displaying both rows of yellow teeth that shook against each other. The whole figure looked bowed, as if shrunk within itself. Chauvelin had paused in his restless walk. He gazed on his colleague, a frown of puzzlement on his pale, set face. "'Capet!' he exclaimed, as soon as he had taken in every detail of Heron's altered appearance, and seen the look of wild terror that literally distorted his face. Heron could not speak. His teeth were chattering in his mouth, and his tongue seemed paralysed. Chauvelin went up to him. He was several inches shorter than his colleague, but at this moment he seemed to be towering over him like an avenging spirit. He placed a firm hand on the other's bowed shoulders. "'Capet is gone. Is that it?' he queried peremptorily. The look of terror increased in Heron's eyes, giving its mute reply. "'How? When?' But for the moment the man was speechless. An almost maniacal fear seemed to hold him in its grip. With an impatient oath Chauvelin turned away from him. "'Brandy!' he said, curtly, speaking to Armand. A bottle and glass were found in the cupboard. It was Saint-Just who poured out the brandy and held it to Heron's lips. Chauvelin was once more pacing up and down the room in angry impatience. "'Pull yourself together, man,' he said roughly after a while, "'and try and tell me what has occurred.' Heron had sunk into a chair. He passed a trembling hand once or twice over his forehead. "'Capet has disappeared,' he murmured. "'He must have been spirited away while the Simons were moving their furniture.' that accursed Cochefer was completely taken in. 
Heron spoke in a toneless voice, hardly above a whisper, and like one whose throat is dry and mouth parched. But the brandy had revived him somewhat, and his eyes lost their former glassy look. "'How?' asked Chauvelin curtly. "'I was just leaving the tower when he arrived. I spoke to him at the door. I had seen Capet safely installed in the room, and gave orders to the woman Simon to let Citizen Cochefer have a look at him too, and then to lock up the brat in the inner room, and install Cochefer in the antechamber on guard. I stood talking to Cochefer for a few moments in the antechamber. The woman Simon, and the man of all work, Dupont, whom I know well, were busy with the furniture. There could not have been any one else concealed about the place, that I'll swear. Cochefer, after he took leave of me, went straight into the room. He found the woman Simon in the act of turning the key in the door of the inner chamber. "'I have locked Capet in there,' she said, giving the key to Cochefer. "'He will be quite safe until to-night, when the other commissaries come.' "'Didn't Cochefer go into the room, and ascertain whether the woman was lying?' "'Yes, he did. He made the woman reopen the door, and peeped in over her shoulder. She said the child was asleep. He vows that he saw the child lying fully dressed on a rug in the further corner of the room. The room, of course, was quite empty of furniture, and only lighted by one candle. But there was the rug, and the child asleep on it. Cochefer swears he saw him. And now, when I went up— Well? The commissaries were all there. Cochefer and Lasnières, Lorinet and Le Grand. We went into the inner room, and I had a candle in my hand. We saw the child lying on the rug, just as Cochefer had seen him, and for a while we took no notice of it. Then some one—I think it was Lorinet—went to have a closer look at the brat. He took up the candle and went to the rug. Then he gave a cry, and we all gathered round him. The sleeping child was only a bundle of hair and of clothes—a dummy what! There was silence now in the narrow room, while the white-faced clock continued to tick off each succeeding second of time. Heron had once more buried his head in his hands. A trembling, like an attack of ague, shook his wide, bony shoulders. Armand had listened to the narrative with glowing eyes and a beating heart. The details which the two terrorists here could not probably understand, he had already added to the picture which his mind had conjured up. He was back in thought now, in the small lodging in the rear of Saint-Germain-Luxrois. Sir Andrew Foulkes was there, and my Lord Tony and Hastings, and a man was striding up and down the room, looking out into the great space beyond the river, with the eyes of a seer, and a firm voice said abruptly, "'It is about the Dauphin.' "'Have you any suspicions?' asked Chauvelin now, pausing in his walk beside Heron, and once more placing a firm, peremptory hand on his colleague's shoulder. "'Suspicions!' exclaimed the chief agent, with a loud oath. "'Suspicions! Certainties, you mean! The man sat here but two days ago, in that very chair, and bragged of what he would do. I told him then that if he interfered with Capet, I would wring his neck with my own hands.' and his long, talon-like fingers, with their sharp, grimy nails, closed and unclosed like those of feline creatures when they hold the coveted prey. "'Of whom do you speak?' queried Chauvelin curtly. "'Of whom? Of whom but that accursed de Batz? His pockets are bulging with Austrian money, with which, no doubt, he has bribed the Simon and Cochefer and the Sentinels—' "'And Lorinet and Lasnières and you,' interposed Chauvelin dryly. "'It is false!' roared Heron, who already, at the suggestion, was foaming at the mouth, and had jumped up from his chair, standing at bay as if prepared to fight for his life. "'False, is it?' retorted Chauvelin calmly. "'Then be not so quick, friend Heron, in slashing out with senseless denunciations right and left. You'll gain nothing by denouncing any one just now. This is too intricate a matter to be dealt with with a sledgehammer. Is any one up in the tower at this moment?' 
he asked, in quiet, business-like tones. Yes. Cochefer and the others are still there. They are making wild schemes to cover their treachery. Cochefer is aware of his own danger, and Lasnier and the others know that they arrived at the tower several hours too late. They are all at fault, and they know it. As for that de Batz, he continued, with a voice rendered raucous with bitter passion, I swore to him two days ago that he should not escape me if he meddled with Capet. I am on his track already. I'll have him before the hour of midnight, and I'll torture him. Yes, I'll torture him. The tribunal shall give me leave. We have a dark cell down below here, where my men know how to apply tortures worse than the rack, where they know just how to prolong life long enough to make it unendurable. I'll torture him. I'll torture him. But Chauvelin abruptly silenced the wretch with a curt command. Then, without another word, he walked straight out of the room. In thought, Armand followed him. The wild desire was suddenly born in him to run away at this moment, while Heron, wrapped in his own meditations, was paying no heed to him. Chauvelin's footsteps had long ago died away in the distance. It was a long way to the upper floor of the tower, and some time would be spent, too, in interrogating the commissaries. This was Armand's opportunity. After all, if he were free himself, he might more effectually help rescue Jean. He knew, too, now where to join his leader the corner of the street by the canal, where Sir Andrew Foulkes would be waiting with the coal-cart. Then there was the spinney on the road to Saint-Germain. Armand hoped that, with good luck, he might yet overtake his comrades, tell them of Jeanne's plight, and entreat them to work for her rescue. He had forgotten that now he had no certificate of safety, that undoubtedly he would be stopped at the gates at this hour of the night, that his conduct proving suspect, he would in all probability be detained, and mayhap be brought back to this self-same place within an hour. He had forgotten all that, for the primeval instinct for freedom had suddenly been aroused. He rose softly from his chair and crossed the room. Heron paid no attention to him. Now he had traversed the antechamber and unlatched the outer door. Immediately a couple of bayonets were crossed in front of him. Two more further on ahead scintillated feebly in the flickering light. Chauvelin had taken his precautions. There was no doubt that Armand Saint-Just was effectually a prisoner now. With a sigh of disappointment, he went back to his place beside the fire. Heron had not even moved whilst he had made this futile attempt at escape. Five minutes later, Chauvelin re-entered the room. End of chapter 19